Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. I think it's one of the hardest words in the English language. Not a hard word to say, but a hard word to live by. It's a word that we hear from our earliest years. In fact, I would dare say parents utter this word almost as often as they say the word stop and the word no. But it's not just in our early years. We hear it at nearly every turn. We hear it from customer service when we're on the phone. We hear it when we are in various offices to which we go for appointments. We hear it in any number of places of business. My guess is you have guessed the word. It's the word wait. Wait. In whatever form it comes, it can be challenging, right? We don't like to wait. And we don't like to have to engage in the corollary that comes with waiting, and that is the word patience. Perhaps you've heard a statement something like this, I would be patient if you would move faster, right? I mean, that's kind of that's the thing. That's, that's our point of view. My Uh, Patience wouldn't be a problem if it weren't for slow people, right? I mean, something kind of like that. You can choose whichever bumper sticker you want. The the expectation that we have to, to wait for things is one of the real frustrations of this life. Now, sometimes that waiting isn't an annoyance, right? I mean, we know going into certain things, making certain phone calls to certain businesses, you are going to be told your wait time will be. All right, we just know that in some places. We know, you know, a doctor's office, they have an actual room for it, so you can't help but wait. I mean, it is a, it's a waiting room, all right? So that's what you're going to be doing in it. There's no other option there for you. Some things, though, get more serious, right? I mean, the, the waiting for really important information we might be looking for from a variety of sources. Then it might even get more serious. In fact, the expectation that we have to wait might even add to grief that we experience when we're enduring what has been called, and what I think rightly applies to, say, lamentations, the harsh providence of God. When we find ourselves in the midst of some kind of trial, some kind of suffering, some kind of difficulty, something much like what our own community has gone through over the last several weeks, 
when we find ourselves in the midst of a situation that not only has, you know, created hurt and, and sadness and grief and loss, but it's not going to soon be over. It's not like everything's going to be fine next weekend. And in other words, we're in a setting, in a situation, many of you far more than some of the rest of us, where you have no option but to wait. And that's hard. Yet the Bible's not silent about this. In fact, the Bible consistently calls upon us to wait, in particular to wait on the Lord. We recognize this is just going to be a part of how we find our way through the challenging realities that we face. And it's an issue that Jeremiah turns his attention to in the text we've been looking at now for a couple of weeks. We took a bit of a break from what we were studying pre-Florence. We will get back to the book of Romans, all right? Uh, She still awaits, and we are uh, not done with her by any stretch of the imagination, all right? I don't know why I referred to Romans in the female, all right? So some of you are already offended by that. Okay, so no offense to be taken. Nonetheless, that is what I have done. But I've, but this is, it's an important opportunity for us to kind of take a break from what the, those realities were to think more intentionally about, you know, how is it that we as believers, as God's people, find a path through painful circumstances. And Lamentations is a great place to go. And nearly all of it, Lamentations, in an odd way can be helpful because it, in fact it is the cry of Jeremiah in the midst of very harsh circumstances. And, and many may find themselves uh, identifying with Jeremiah's words. Most of it is dark, most of it is sad, hence the name, right? Lamentations. The text we, focus, we have focused on is this bright spot, and it really seems to be about the lone one in the book, where Jeremiah kind of rises above the pain and suffering he's enduring and forces himself to think theologically. In fact, while, while most of a, you know, all the translations, I think, have verse 21 with the previous text, I really think verse 21 is a transition. We noted this in our first message. After expressing his deep hurt and pain, what this has done even to his own physical existence. Jeremiah says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. In other words, in light of all this, in light of my experiences and circumstances, I'm going to make myself think properly. And and I, I really think that is what we should be doing as God's people. Thinking theologically even in the midst of very harsh times. So what Jeremiah then does for us in these verses, Jeremiah helps us to think theologically. In particular, he recalls to his mind three fundamental truths about God. And I think when we understand these truths, this really gives us that path through the challenging times that we're facing. Now, we've already been through two of the three. Number one, Jeremiah drew our attention to God's mercy. We looked at verses 22 and 23. Undoubtedly the most famous verses in the book. Oddly enough, some of the most famous verses in the Bible, though you may not have known where these were located. 
It's the basis for the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And and the first thing Jeremiah draws to his mind, he, he says, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. In other words, it's not that things aren't real bad. Things are real bad. This is no naive optimism. He, this is no wishful thinking. Jeremiah is not just, you know, going to make himself think happy thoughts. He's going to deal honestly and openly with his grief, but he is going to say, but I do see God's mercies, God's compassions, because we've not yet been consumed. God did relent, at least to a degree. There, there was an act of mercy and compassion, and that mercy and that compassion, mentioned in the plural, mercies and compassions, is new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Then he went on to the second one, we looked at this last week, and that is God's value. Jeremiah makes this great statement there in verse 24, where he says, the Lord is my portion. This, this is language, as we noted last week, of, of, of ownership. This is inheritance. This is Jeremiah's way of saying, the city that I love and that I know, this temple in which I find the physical representation of the presence of God, all of this may be gone. My life as I knew it before may be gone, but at the end of the day, my meaning and significance is not bound up in my things, but in God Himself. The Lord is my portion. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I belong to Him. He belongs to me. It's a precious statement. But then we get to number three. And that is God's goodness. God's goodness. So so now Jeremiah is going to draw our attention to, to this next reality of who God is. And it, it's, it's, it's going to speak clearly to something that is absolutely essential about the nature of God. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the, Lord, for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. So it's, it's only natural that, that after talking about say, the value of God. God, the Lord is my portion. He's now going to extol the goodness of God. He's going to draw our attention. He's going to recall to his mind that God, by definition, by the way, is good. God can only be good. If God ever ceased to be good, God would no longer be God. So this is an essential quality about who God is. Now, you may say, what, what do you mean here by good? I mean the greatest sense of good that you could think. I, I don't mean like, God's just a really good fella, all right? You know, he's, he's, just, a, he's just a fine guy, and, uh, you know, he's, he's good to hang out with. Or what, you know, I don't mean, we don't mean casually like that. When the Bible says the Lord is good, it means in all that is right and true and just and, and, and worthy, and honorable, and pure, and holy, and all of these things. This is what God is. In, in anything, it's almost like what Paul says in chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. Whatever is, 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 is worthy, whatever, whatever is worth, think, we think about these things that are pure, that, that are right, that are just, that are true. This is the essence of who God is. The Lord is good. So, so Jeremiah is going to draw our attention to his goodness. 
You may say, all right, pastor, what does that have to do with waiting? Because Jeremiah's context here for experiencing the goodness of God is directly related to waiting on Him to fulfill His plan. Now, we'll break this down over the next few minutes, but I do want you to notice, we know that goodness is Jeremiah's main concern. Just to give you a little bit of what's going on, say, in the text itself. So, verses 25, 26, 27. In the, in the Hebrew text, all of those verses begin with the word good. Good is the first word that shows up. So, verse 26, uh, verse 25 would literally read like this. Good is the Lord to those who wait for Him. Verse 26 then would read something uh, like this. Good it is that one should hope and wait quietly for the Lord. Good it is for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Now you may wonder why that, why that matters. Is that just because they weren't very good at grammar? Well, no. It, a lot of languages are designed to give emphasis to the very first word. English doesn't really work that way. Both Hebrew and Greek do. They will emphasize the concept by putting the most important word first. And so, regardless of grammatical rules that we may have in our head about our own language, this is what Jeremiah does. Everything is centered on that which is good, which already I find fascinating. It's almost as if Jeremiah really has to force himself to think this way. He's recalling this to mind, and in order to press it, he's going to put that word first each time. Quite frankly, Jeremiah is telling himself stuff. He's convincing himself of things that his circumstances don't necessarily suggest is true. And so again, his, 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 his form here is to emphasize good. And so what I think he does, 25 is kind of like his main statement, and then 26 and 27 are like corollary points. So, so note there again that first statement in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him. Now, right off the bat, we don't want to misunderstand this. This doesn't work, say, in reverse order, as if to say something like this. If you wait on God then God will be good to you. So this is, not, this is not a cause and effect. This is not a way of saying the Lord's goodness is only granted to you if you wait for Him. We, we've talked enough about God's gospel of grace, the means by which God works in the lives of His people. We've talked enough about this to know God's actions toward us are not dependent upon our first actions toward Him, right? Instead, here's what I think he's saying. It's, it's Because the Lord is good. The Lord is good regardless of whether we wait for Him or not, all right? I mean, this is a quality of who God is. So I, I think we can understand Jeremiah's point by saying it's something like this. When you wait on God... To fulfill his plan in all of his providential dealings, then you will be better able to see 
that that same God is good. It's a way of saying, be patient. It's a way of saying, you will see the Lord's goodness. You will have a better understanding of the ins and outs of your situation. Uh, Maybe put it another way, do not define God's goodness on the basis of a singular event in your life. In the midst of grief and despair, that is not the time to make my initial assessment of who God is. Jeremiah is saying, wait on God. Wait on God to do His thing and in His way. It it would be kind of like this. It would be like walking into the Croatan National Forest. And I see two dead trees. Five dead trees. Ten dead trees. And I say, this forest is the worst forest in the world. Right? It's all dead. Basing my opinion of the forest on just a few trees. Again, to use a cliche, right? You miss the forest for the trees, right? To use that cliche, but kind of broaden it out in imagery we might understand. To make my evaluation of the entirety of the thing on the basis of a few trees doesn't appreciate the entirety of the thing. But do people not do this with their lives? Get ready. This may hurt a little bit, but can we not show great skill at being dramatic in our lives when pain comes and we say, my whole life is horrible, right? That happens, doesn't it? And in fact, if we face a circumstance that's trying, we might even then go further and say, nothing in my life ever works right. This is is what the singular event can do for us. That's why Jeremiah's words are profound. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. Wait for God to show More of his plan. God's goodness is understood and appreciated over the long term, over the the entire breadth of his work, so to speak. I don't base it on just one singular event. I look and see how God has worked in the past, and and I recall to my mind, this isn't something I can do based on my feeling or emotion. I've got to think theologically. Wait on the Lord when I wait, when I when I am patient with God and how He works. Then I'll see His goodness. It's very similar, by the way, to a passage we spent a lot of time on. Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love God and called according to His purpose. That doesn't mean every single thing I go through is good. That is a way of pointing to the larger goodness of God's plan. I think Jeremiah is right in line with this. I need to have a larger vision and view of what is God's greater plan. And let's make that very clear, church. God's greater plan for you is not wrapped up in the material things of this life, in my experiences in this life. I know we often equate them with that. I know my friend down in Houston wrote a book called Your Best Life Now, but it is not. 
Your best life is not now. Your best life is coming after you leave this one and you enter into the glorious presence of God for all eternity. That is far better than anything on this planet can ever give to you. This is God's larger plan. This is what he's building toward, and I need to view life that way. Now notice, though, this next little phrase. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Does anybody else find that odd? Let's, let's speak of it differently. Hey, after the, church, after the service, could, could you go to the Family Life Center and wait for me? And when you get to the Family Life Center, could you then come and find me? The Lord is good to those who wait, to those who seek Him. I, I don't know about you, but at first blush, I look at this and I think, oh, that doesn't, that seems odd, right? So, okay, God, do I, do I wait? Do I go? Do I wait? Do I go? All right, what do I do? Do you want me to wait or do you want me to seek? Come on, it's bad enough. Which one do you want me to do here? This is speaking to the, to the reality of the nature of waiting. When God says to wait, one, one commentary I read put it this way, which I thought was really profound. Waiting does not mean loitering. I think that's a great phrase. It doesn't mean when it says wait on the Lord that you just kind of hang out. All right, God. I'm here. I'm waiting on you. As soon as you show up. I guess I'll reckon on to wherever you want me to go, all right? Whatever you want me to do, I'm here waiting, all right? So that's not what it means. Waiting on the Lord is an act of waiting. It's not a passive event. It means I trust God's greater providential work. God is unfolding a particular plan. There there is something in the works here, and I know that plan ultimately ends in the glorification of God's people and, and, and all of the fulfilled promises He's made to us through the gospel. I know that's what He's doing. It's not all happening right now, so I'm going to have to wait on that. But while I wait, I will pray to Him. I will read his word. I will fellowship with his people. I will obey. I will do what his word says to do. I'll love others. I'll live in the power of the Spirit. I'll I'll, I'll submit myself to God's greater intentions for me. When I wait on God, I'll seek God. I will pursue God. I will continue to do those things that, that support the sanctifying work of the Spirit in my life. The Lord is good to those who wait and to those who seek. It's possible you need to do both, right? It's possible somebody here needs to, you need to wait. You don't don't have to confess this to everybody, all right? But you've been impatient with God. I mean, I know that. And I'm not just pointing the finger. I've been impatient with God. How many times have you given God what sounds like a really great plan? Anybody, come on, anybody, anybody guilty of doing that? Like you've laid out to God, hey, God, I've been thinking about it, and to give you a little break, I've already got the plan worked out, all right? So just do this. You don't even have to worry about my de- Just do this, all right? You don't have to figure it all out. When God doesn't follow my plan, whew, here comes the drama, right? So Jeremiah's words, are, I think, are critical here to us. 
And, 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 I, and I think they are profound in the midst of, of what is suffering and difficulty. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good when the water takes your stuff away. The, the Lord is good when you're not sure where you're going to live. The, the Lord is good when the biggest challenges of life come crashing at your door. That doesn't mean the thing that comes crashing at your door is necessarily good. But God is good. And you'll see that goodness if you wait and you seek Him. But then he goes a step further. Notice verse 26. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So the Lord is good, and so therefore, because the Lord is good, and and that goodness is demonstrated to those who wait because they see the goodness of God as they wait on God to fulfill His promise and His providential work, and so it's good. It's good, to, it's good to hope in Him, and it's good to quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Now, notice that phrase. Jeremiah probably has in mind what would be the future restoration of Israel, 70 years from when he's writing this, when, when she finally comes back from Babylon and goes back to Jerusalem. Comes back out of exile, all right? But we know on this side of the New Testament and the cross and the gospel, we know this points to this phrase, the salvation of the Lord is a much bigger deal. I mean, this, this is found in Christ crucified, resurrected, and this also then points us to the fulfillment of all things at the very end. So, so we see that's the context here. And so it's good for us to hope in that, keeping in mind that the word hope is not wishful thinking, it's not naive optimism, it's not just some kind of I'm going to grin and bear it and everything will get better. It's an absolute assurance in who God is and what God has promised to do. But I just noticed that second phrase. Notice how he adds, rather than just wait, he says, wait quietly. It was hard enough already, wasn't it? (laughs) And then God adds this. The Word adds this little nugget. Now, let's be clear here. This doesn't mean that you should keep yourself from expressing whatever frustrations may be bound in the heart to the Lord. Because the Psalms are full of them, right? David's not one to hold back his cry of anguish or despair. This is not what he's talking about when he says, wait quietly. But I do think it's an important balance. I think it's wise in the midst of our suffering to not offer commentary on that suffering. I think it's wise to wait quietly. And, and, and let me suggest this. It probably is also wise to wait quietly when you experience blessings too. In other words, I wouldn't necessarily allow just one experience of blessing to be a point through which you evaluate all other things. To wait quietly in the midst of the grief, I think that's wise. Let me give you an example of this. You know, it, it, would, it would be like, like someone... Uh, saying, we've kind of dealt with this already, 
someone who sees that their house is gone, and, and in the midst of that, they may say something like, well, clearly, clearly God doesn't love me. That would be an example of that. Or, or those who would say, well, obviously, this is God's judgment against you. Somebody were to say that. I think, it's, I think it's against those things that Jeremiah says, hope and wait quietly. Don't offer commentary, especially commentary that may question the goodness and nature of God. To wait quietly is not necessarily to wait silently per se. You can tell God this is really sad and causes a lot of grief. You can cry out all you want to the Lord. I think Jeremiah's encouragement here, though, is to be careful that we don't find ourselves casting aspersions on God, condemning God, saying wrong theological things about God. Again, because we need to see the longer plan unfold. And quite, quite honestly, we may not know all of that plan until we step from this side to the next. So, so, again, Jeremiah's words are helpful. Then he adds this final part. Verse 27. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. All right, so what does he mean here? Well, you hear the, you know, the word yoke. To be sure, nobody thinks this has anything to do with eggs, right? All right, so number one, I mean, obviously it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, so it's spelled differently. I mean, you, I think most of us know the metaphor of the yoke. Jesus uses it. It is the piece of equipment that would have attached some beast of burden to the plow. Jesus talks about it and says, my, my burden is, is light. My, my, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor of saying, this is the thing that's around my neck. This is the thing that is bearing upon me. This, it is a metaphor for particular trials and difficulties, the nature of trying to make it through this life when life can be so difficult. And so Jeremiah says, it is good to bear this yoke, to bear this burden in your youth. So what does Jeremiah have in mind here? Well, it could be, keeping in mind that Jeremiah is an old man at this point, all right? This is, he's at the end of his life. I don't really know how much longer after this, but this is it. This is his last written word uh, after everything he prophesied came true. And so perhaps as he's sitting there, and if you read the rest of chapter 3, you know, he talks about his eyes failing, his bones breaking within him, his skin hanging off of him. All right, this is the language he uses, all right, not me. So Jeremiah is calling himself this kind of an old man. It could be that Jeremiah is saying, oh, this would be easier if I were younger. Maybe not easier, but a way of saying, man, after enough time, this burden, this, this heaviness, It'd be better to bear this when I'm young. It's kind of like the, the old statement that you hear, youth is, or youth is wasted on the young, right? Something like that. And we've all made the comment as we get older, wouldn't you love to be able to go back, do something with that guy, you know? Look back at my 18 or 19 or whatever old self and think, oh, man, 
right? If I could just take what I've got now and just take it back to that knucklehead back then. My goodness, all right? So maybe this is what Jeremiah has in mind. Really, here's what I think he's saying. This, this by, by, by the way, is one option. But I'm more inclined to this. I think Jeremiah is also suggesting something to his younger readers. It's good to go ahead and learn this lesson as soon as you can. In other words, it's good to recognize there will be burdens to bear, and it's good to bear these burdens even in your youth. I know that sounds like an odd thing, and I know that strikes us in our American culture as an odd thing, because what do we try and do as parents? What, are we, what do we give all of our energy and effort to? Perhaps sometimes foolishly, and I know some of you are going to be offended by the fact I'm going to say what I'm about to say, all right? It's not the first time, all right? It won't be the last time. But we often think that our primary purpose as parents is to shield our kids from all of the ugliness of life. I would argue that is foolish. One, you can't. Because we bring our own ugliness with us, right? They live in a house where they see plenty of ugliness, right? From themselves, from us as parents, I know, I know we want our kids to be happy. I know that. I know we even say things like, if I could do whatever I could do to get this burden off of them, I would get it off of them when they go through their trials and their pain and their grief. But I think Jeremiah offers us a different perspective. I think a really helpful one. And maybe an unexpected principle even to parents. It is good that we would bear this from the beginning. Bear this yoke in our youth. Learn what it means to wait on the Lord in the midst of grief. Because all of us recognize, does the grief get less as we get older? Does life necessarily get easier? Granted, there are problems that a young age, there are problems in middle age, there are problems in older age, right? But I think all of us would suggest, no, I, I, when I was whatever age, however young, I didn't know what grief was. <laughs> right? This builds over time. So Jeremiah's words, I think, are helpful words. Bear this in your youth. It's good for a man. What an odd perspective. It's good for a man. It's good for... By the way, don't, ladies, don't give Jeremiah a hard time, all right? It's written 2,500 years ago, all right? So he means men, women, all right, you're included in this. He's not just saying, yeah, that's right, men, you're going to have to bear this, all right? He's not talking to us, all right? He means everybody here, it's good to bear this in your youth. Again, though, I, you know, I, think, I think Jeremiah's bottom line here is to encourage us. Think carefully about God. To force ourselves to recall to our mind what is God's goodness. God is always and forever a good God. And that goodness is put on display as we wait for Him. It may take time to see it in all of its fullness, and and, and really we won't see its perfected fullness until the very end when we're all glorified. Between now and then, just know God's plan is unfolding And as hard as this is to understand, church, God's plan is unfolding without a hitch. Without a hitch. 
There's never been a point in human history where God said, man, this thing's really messed up. I'm going to have to change everything I had planned to do. He never says that. Now, this is all working as God in His sovereignty is working it. I confess not to fully understand that, but I do trust Him. I do wait for Him. I wait in hope. Sometimes I might have to wait quietly. And it's a good lesson to learn as soon as you can learn it. But this is God's goodness. So again, Jeremiah's words to us, I think, are helpful words. They're words that express this this important principle of thinking theologically and even forcing myself to think that way in spite of the circumstances around me. To know God is a God of mercy. God is a God of value. God is a God of goodness. This is who He is toward us, and He can be trusted. Of course, this is is really available to those. I mean, only those who know Christ as Savior understand this. Because there could be some bad news here. This language of knowing God's goodness is directly related to the goodness of the salvation of the Lord. If you are here today and do not know Christ as your Savior, God's goodness is not your inheritance. God's goodness is not what will be granted to you on that last day. You will face God's judgment for sin, willfully committed against Him. And that judgment will last for all eternity. Now, that's bad news. But we know the gospel by nature is good news. And the good news is this, that if by faith you trust in Christ, Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead, and you ask God to save you based on what Christ has done for you, and you trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, you can know the goodness of the Lord. Do you need to trust in Christ today? I'll be down front as we sing together. If you'd like to know more about this gospel, I would love to tell you. I'll be down front at the end of the service when it's over. If you'd like to talk more, I'd love to talk more about what it means to trust Christ as your Savior. But perhaps for some of you, the issue of waiting has hit home. And in fact, you know that there are long days coming. Maybe this is what you need to come to terms with, with your God, to trust Him and to wait on Him. So maybe whatever it is you're facing, and it may have nothing to do with the hurricane. There's all number of trials. You know, just because there's been the one that is that has hit an entire community, that doesn't mean all the rest of your trials and difficulties stop, right? Wouldn't that that might almost would be better, right? If we only had this one thing and everything else was working out perfectly, but it's not working that way, is it? Nope. You still have your other grief. The trouble you had the day before the hurricane is now still here. And so maybe it is this waiting patiently for the Lord that is required of you. You can come, you can pray here. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be glad to do that. But that you would respond to His Word as His Spirit would lead. Let's stand and I'll pray. And then we'll sing together. Father God, we thank You for gathering us today. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how it speaks to our situations. And God, we thank You for who You are. We do confess that we can allow our, our thoughts to drift away 
from what we know to be true about you. And so we recall to mind these things. We recall your your mercy and your value and your goodness. I pray, God, then you would grant us grace that is necessary to be able to wait as we see that goodness unfold in the days, weeks, months, years to come. I pray, God, that you, by your Spirit, would bring your Word then to bear on our lives, doing in us as you see fit, and all for your glory. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.